I remember once when I was, you know, probably around five years old, my first live event, and I was backstage, and there were all of these superstars standing in the hallway, and all of a sudden, a group of kids came screaming and running past me. So I looked to see what on earth they were running from, and around the corner comes George the Animal Steel. And for any of those who are not familiar with who he is, he was a wrestler that um, had so much hair on his back and chest, it looked like fur. His head was very, very wrinkled and bald. Uh, he would dye his tongue green with like clarets or something. And he was almost walking like an animal. And here he comes towards me. I subsequently screamed at the top of my lungs, ran up my father's leg, buried my head in his shoulder and hung on for dear life. And what surprised me was that my dad actually started to laugh. That five-year-old girl's father laughed because he knew who that green-tongued monster was. He had created him and a full roster of wrestlers, wild, over-the-top fictional characters, like Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. He'd imagined the fantasy world they inhabited, fight-to-the-death storylines that were broadcast around the world. But when you're a little kid, your dad is just your dad, no matter how notorious. Even when he's Vince McMahon, founder of the WWE. I'm David Fisher, and you're listening to Three and a Half Degrees, an original podcast from Facebook. Thanks to the internet, the world has shrunk considerably. Three and a Half Degrees is the new Six Degrees of Separation. In this podcast, we squeeze that Three and a Half Degrees even further. We talk with extraordinary business leaders and emerging entrepreneurs about times in their career that brought them to their breaking point. Then, we bring them together to share the lessons. And that's when things really get fun. Pro wrestling, for the uninitiated, is more theater than sport. It stars over-the-top wrestlers like The Undertaker and Macho Man Randy Savage with classic good guy versus bad guy storylines and testosterone-filled battles in the ring. Arch-rivalries are a mainstay. Pounding rock music revs up stadiums packed with tens of thousands of superfans. Back in the 80s, it was Jesse the Body and Rowdy Roddy Piper. In the 90s, you had Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. They and dozens more wrestlers became household names. What had once been a fringe sport had become big money entertainment. As her dad toured the world, Stephanie McMahon was back home with her brother, dreaming that one day she'd be part of it. I always wanted to be a part of our family's business. I always watched ever since I was a little kid. Um, and my parents were on the road a lot building our company from the ground up. So from my perspective, it was my way of being a part of my family. It was my way of giving back to my family. Vince McMahon, who also spent time in the ring as the villainous Mr. McMahon, has been at the helm of the WWE for nearly 50 years. In fact, the McMahon family still owns and runs the company. It's very much a family business. And by the time she was in high school, 
Stephanie was all in. I remember I was about 16 when my father asked me officially, what is it I wanted to study in school? What did I want to do, you know, with my life? And I looked at him like he was crazy. And he said, why are you looking at me like that? And I said, because, Dad, I want to be in the business. You know, how could you think anything different? If you think about it, parent-child relationships are already pretty complicated. When you add another dynamic, when your parent also signs your paycheck, it can get even trickier. Vince agreed to hire his daughter, but made it clear she wouldn't get special treatment. She would need to earn her way. When I first graduated college, my roles were in our sales office. Uh, Again, learning from the ground up, going on sales calls, what it took, you know, to really build our business. I've pretty much interned in you know, our digital media space, almost everywhere, really, and then ultimately came to be a part of our creative writing team, which is where I really found my niche um, at that time and simultaneously also became a character on our television show. And then within two weeks, the head writer quit, and I was told, congratulations, trial by fire here in WWE. It's sink or swim. You are now running the creative writing team. It was a huge break. Storytelling is at the heart of WWE's success, and Stephanie was now the chief storyteller, the same way her father had taken people like Andre the Giant and made them stars. It was a steep learning curve, and before long, Stephanie found herself on the ropes. I was in charge of our creative writing and uh, live event booking marketing and talent relations departments at that time. And uh, I guess I really wasn't doing a very good job because my boss, who's also my father, called me into his office and told me, you know, that I wasn't meeting expectations and that something needed to change. And I think that it's one thing when your boss sits you down and tells you that you're not meeting expectations and that you are performing subpar in some capacity. It's another thing when that boss is your father and you have disappointed him. You know, I I questioned my value. I really did. And I questioned my value to our company. You know, where would I fit in? Um, How did I fit in? And was I going to be able to overcome, you know, this massive setback to me personally and professionally? And was I ever going to be able to earn Not only um, my colleagues' respect, but was I ever going to be able to earn or regain my dad's respect? I beat myself up for a really long time. And the, the main thing that I was doing wrong is that I was micromanaging. But then there was this huge self doubt and insecurity that I was left with. Uh, Because, again, I took it so hard. Her lifelong dream of being part of the family business was suddenly in jeopardy. She didn't get a free pass just because her last name was McMahon. This was both a professional and a personal crisis. In that turning point, what was at stake was really my self-worth. Was I worthy of my job? Could I change? Could I grow? Could I meet expectations? Could I exceed expectations, which is always my goal? Um, that, 
that was what I went through. Um, it was, and it was a moment of reflection, of self-reflection that lasted a period of months. Um, so what was at stake was really my personal being. And it may not seem like, you know, that big of a thing to, to other people. Everyone goes through such so much in life. But in terms of my professional career, you know, was I going to be able to grow past this? She needed help to get back on her feet from someone with an objective point of view, not in the family business. I've always been a, a strong performer, and it, it, it just rattled my cage so much. And I started working with a coach. She taught me to focus on my strengths. And it's one of the most valuable lessons that I've learned along the way. We all have weaknesses, every single one of us. But if you spend the majority of your time trying to hone your weaknesses, you're never really going to get to that next level. But if you focus on your strengths, if you focus on what you do better than anybody else, it creates a greater value for your business. It creates a better value for you personally because then you start delivering. Then you start bringing things to the table that people may not have even thought were possible. Owning that new mindset was the key. In time, Stephanie regained her dad's confidence, as well as her own. I think it's okay to make mistakes, you know, as my dad likes to say, but you just don't make the same mistakes. So it's important whenever you've had the opportunity to learn, because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. These days, father and daughter, Vince and Stephanie McMahon, work side by side at the WWE. Stephanie wears many hats, including chief brand officer, and she still gets into the ring sometimes to play the evil Stephanie McMahon, like she did at WrestleMania 34 in April of 2018. I'm David Fisher. You're listening to Three and a Half Degrees. Family businesses aren't the exception in our economy. They're the rule. They're responsible for about two-thirds of all economic activity and 78% of all new job creation. Family businesses have long been a part of the American dream. Mom-and-pop entrepreneurs working long hours to support their families. And where you find a mom-and-pop business, you'll likely find their kids working right alongside them. The world simply cannot stand by and permit the Soviet Union... Most thinking Americans now recognize the fact that our country is at war. ...to commit this act with impunity. A war declared against us by the rulers of international communism. It is called a cold war because armed forces, although used as a threat... Are in 1978, as the Cold War raged, the young Vaynerchuk family fleeing the Soviet Union landed at JFK Airport in New York City. Like many immigrants... They had no money and could barely speak the language. But they were determined to make a life here. Sasha, the dad, found a job managing a liquor store. And within a few years, he'd saved enough money to open his own store. He worked 15 hours a day, seven days a week. One day, he turned to his eldest son, Gary. He needed his help. 
you know, on my 14th birthday, my dad walks in and basically says, you know, the gig is up, right? It's been nice that you've been selling baseball cards and comic books and making some money, but you've got to join the family business, Shoppers Discount Liquors, uh, a business that my dad started in 1983 here in Springfield, New Jersey, uh, which is a liquor store, is uh, is in need of your services. And we're going to pay you two bucks an hour and you're going to bag ice and stock shelves. And it was, you know, my, my journey in my family business uh, started off <laughs> quite negatively. He wanted no part of the family business. He was 14 and making two to $3,000 every weekend selling baseball cards. Anyone raking in that amount of money would never accept a job that paid two bucks an hour. But Gary had no choice. This was family. It was tough. It was, you know, retail. So this wasn't kids' hours, right? This was, you know, 1989 was a little bit less politically correct, and my parents were from the Soviet Union, which meant that I left the home at 7 a.m., and we would get home about 8 p.m., and that's just a long day uh, for anybody, let alone a kid. And, and they were just grueling, like, you know, clean the shelf or put up a thing. And so that became my life. And Every weekend outside of a couple of baseball card shows and every summer vacation, I spent every day in that liquor store. He decided to embrace it. Over the years, while he's stocking shelves and ringing up purchases, Gary was also soaking up everything about the business. He studied the products they sold. He got to know the customers. He read Wine Spectator. And he began to notice something else people collected wine. Somewhere around my late high school years, I realized people collected wine, which was very much in line with my passions. And, and that's when everything kind of turned. Collecting wine couldn't be that much different than collecting baseball cards, right? Passionate fans willing to spend money on a coveted player or vintage. By now, it's 1996, the dawn of e-commerce. This was back in the day when we were still using dial-up connections, but Gary spotted the opportunity. So he brought the family liquor store online. It was a hit. I built one of the largest independent wine retail companies in the country, rebranded it to Wine Library, became the leading e-commerce player in business, grew it to 45 and $60 million in sales, changed the course of our family's lives. At 22 years old and fresh out of college, Gary took over running the business his father had started. Sales took off. The business expanded. But the record profits didn't tell the whole story. The business may have been thriving, but family relations were not. Gary and his dad locked horns daily over everything from what wine to buy to which shelf it belonged on. One day in particular, things got really heated. My dad and I had a very significant argument. And we had, I don't know, an argument a day. So it wasn't anything super out of the ordinary. But we were in a very interesting time. We had just built uh, a very big store in the same location where we had a smaller store. The building cost a lot of money. Like it just went way over budget and took way too much time. And it put a lot of financial pressure on me on something I didn't have full control over. It was very difficult for me, and no question was the issue that created the most tension for my dad and I, and there was something in the conversation that, for some reason, that felt like it was something that would never change. On top of that, Gary had been getting a lot of praise for Wine Library. Maybe too much. He'd become the face of his father's business. In the background, 
over the last four or five years at that point, I was getting so much credit in the press and in the industry that I felt that it went overboard and started to even subconsciously undermine what my dad had done. I think it cast a big shadow over my dad's accomplishment, I think started creating a little bit of tension as well between us. Between the pressure, the tension with his dad, and the long hours he was putting in, Gary felt restless. Despite the success, his own entrepreneurial dreams had been sidelined. The store was his father's dream, and always would be, but he couldn't yet step away from the family business he had helped build. And one day, it just hit him in the most unexpected way. Here's what happened, and I've never really told this story. On my 30th birthday, which is November 14th, 2005, two things happened. One, I was driving to work on my 30th birthday from New York to New Jersey, which was an hour commute. And for some weird reason, I looked at myself in the rear view mirror, but I made eye contact with myself and I looked myself dead in the face and out of nowhere with no preconceived thought about it, I just uttered the words to myself that I've never uttered before or since, which is, you're full of shit. It was very weird. I, I just basically had this weird midlife, early, early midlife crisis moment of you talk a big game about buying the New York Jets and being this all-time great businessman and you have coasted over the last year or two of building Wine Library and you're going nowhere. That blast of self-doubt combined with the ongoing tension with his dad had Gary thinking. He needed a change. It was probably going to be in my best interest to maybe spread my wings a little bit. About two months after I had that moment with myself, I did the thing that probably changed the course of my career. I videotaped myself on the internet for the first time. It was an experiment. Gary sits behind a big wooden desk, surrounded by wine bottles, and riffs about everything and anything wine-related. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Wine Library TV. I am Gary Vaynerchuk, Director of Operations here at Wine Library. People loved Gary's videos, and it whet his appetite for digital media, chasing that dream and handing the operations of the family business back to his father. Oh man, it, it had an enormous impact on my relationship with my dad. Ultimately, the, the day I made the decision, I knew deep down it was gonna be the greatest thing for my dad and I's relationship. Two cooks in the kitchen never works, co-CEOs don't work, and this was my dad's baby. He started it and you know it's his identity. And it got very convoluted and the tension was mounting and I just knew that it was gonna be good. From the early days of what he called Wine Library TV, Gary had a hunch that online video was going to be a big deal. And he was right. Since then, he's launched VaynerMedia, a social media marketing company. He's become a highly respected voice in that world, known particularly for his unfiltered advice. He's built a huge following and has written five New York Times bestsellers. And Gary still very much got his finger on the pulse of how brands should use cutting-edge technology. While he's no longer part of the day-to-day operation of Wine Library, Gary's still personally invested. At some level, I still play some sort of advisor, chairman, kind of like board member kind of role. So I've never really been fully away from it because a family business, you know, you could leave a family business, but a family business doesn't leave you. And I just need everybody to understand that. Going into business with your relatives can be hugely rewarding and fun. And it can be fraught with risk. No one wants to put a relationship on the line for the sake of a business. But when the future, security, and reputation of your entire family is tied up in that business, the stakes are so much higher. Stephanie McMahon took criticism at the office hard because her dad was also her boss. 
Gary Vaynerchuk ran into thorny territory when he became his father's boss at a young age. This is tricky stuff. Ultimately, they were able to work through it. Some families can survive it. Others can't. Now, you can imagine that Gary and Stephanie would have plenty to talk about. And you'd be right. We brought these two powerhouses together, reducing that three and a half degrees of separation down to one. You know, that's... Can I ask you, can yeah. I ask you a fun question mm-hmm. real quick, just as a curveball, just because I'm dying to know? Like, when you were young, yeah. let's call it under 15, mm-hmm. who was your favorite wrestler? Andre. Andre. Hands down. Still is. I was such a crazy Randy the Macho Man Savage fan. Yeah. Like, like... I think of him, Don Mattingly, and Patrick Ewing as like the three core Your individuals. My trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> I often reference your dad and Walt Disney in a very similar way, Absolutely. which is like just, you know, I see a very interesting similarity. Your, your dad and the storytellers, whether it's Patterson or others around, the writers, building stories around humans, and then obviously Walt Disney did it around fictional characters. But Example, I've had multiple meetings with four or five of the leading sports organizations, whether it's the NFL or MLS or or MLB or NHL over the last two or three years. And inevitably in every meeting, I I will bring up, I'm like, you guys really need to take a page at a WWE. They know how to story tell their people. By the time Mr. Perfect made it to the league, I already, like he was already ingrained in my head because of the three minute promos on Saturday morning. They made and they continue to make people care about people. How much do you think storytelling and branding is the essence of WWE versus the operational mechanics of being a touring business or licensing or other things that may populate in that form of that question? Storytelling is the number one most basic form of communication because it makes people feel. You know, Maya Angelou has that great quote, and I butcher it a little bit, but it's people will never remember what you said or what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. If you can make people feel something, they can relate to it, they'll remember it. Just like you're relating to and remembering that all of those storylines and all of those characters, right? It's something you felt as a kid. It's nostalgia for you. You said it brings you back to that moment in time. It's ingrained in who you are. You know, the WWE was a major part of my childhood, but more importantly, over the last six months, I've become ridiculously passionate about family business dynamics. Not a lot of people are covering the conversation of how to make a family business work. And so, you know, I think a lot of people from the outside always ask me why it worked with me and my dad, and then I started business with me and my brother, and you've had the luxury of working with your dad and brother as well. I think a lot of people make assumptions like, hey, you figured it out without knowing all the stuff that's happening behind mm-hmm. the scenes. You know, as an observer from the outside, a, lo- a lot of the family has been involved in the business through marriage, through your mom even, like through the years. How have you guys been able to pull that off from your perspective? Um, well, and just to frame it, you know, it's not just my father and my brother that I work with, but also, as you said, my mom and my husband. So it was, you know, yep. all of us in here. And even I had like my third cousin was working here on the social team at one point in time. <laughs> but, you know, and, and it's worked and it hasn't worked. You know, I think that there are the aspects that really work well is the shared passion. I think one of the biggest mistakes that uh, young entrepreneurial, excited family members make when they first join the business is they lack the humility 
for the other people that have been in the business to help build it. I get hundreds of emails a month from people saying, hey, I just graduated, I'm walking into the business and I'm not getting respect. And literally I ask them, I'm like, did you earn respect? Like do you really think that the reason that you should be taken seriously, even though you've never worked in the business, you never worked during high school or college or summers, you know, I think individuals that have paid their dues in their teens and early 20s on every vacation, every holiday may have a little more you know, legs to stand on. It's ironic that you say all of that, Gary, because just today I was thinking about, I mean, I always do, but I was thinking about you know, my kids coming into the business and what's the first <laughs> thing I would teach them and it would be humility. But I think it's a very important value in life you know, is is to be humble and have humility and you have to earn respect every single day. Only as good as your last at bat, That's right? right. I mean, in business and in life, and I think not just in family business, I think in any business. You know, a lot of people come in and I think that it's one of the mistakes a lot of young people make, and I believe I made it too. You know, you think you know everything. And it's important, important to understand that you don't <laughs> and know that you don't know. The cardinal rule for me on management and engaging, especially in a family environment, is do you have the emotional intelligence and strength to be the bigger person in every situation? Mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't tell you how much I've watched that work for me and for the people that I deem as the best managers. That, you know, and especially important in a family dynamic because you're willing to go somewhere nastier with a family member at times, let me rephrase, certain people are more comfortable to go to a nastier place with their family than they do for their employees and there's other people that are reverse. I think it's about the ability to be the bigger person. My husband and I don't really fight much. The only time we ever really disagree is about business. Yeah, makes sense. And it gets really heated really (laughs) fast and you're right, you can suddenly, you go to this place that's like, you know, that that doesn't happen with people who aren't as in such close relationships. And you have to really guard against that. Um, you have to be careful. And, and I agree. Take a step back and, and be the bigger person as much as you possibly can. It's great advice. There's family businesses. And then there's what Steph had to deal with, which is the parent at the top is a legend. Right? Like, you know, there's certain family businesses, just family businesses. But even for me, like, my dad was like a legend in the liquor business in New Jersey. And so, like, that becomes your world, right? So, I'll give one more piece of advice that's just something I've lived through is not to take it personal, right? It was, it was mm. very hard for me mm. to learn the difference between my father, the businessman, and my father, my father, mm. right? Because they're very different people, especially my father. <laughs> My quick take on that is you'll never regret it. Having those years, driving with my dad back and forth, talking about the business, just all those moments that will replay in my head to the day I die, it's just ROI positive. And and listen, you know, Steph, you know, my dad, you know, it's funny what you talk about your dad. Like, you know, my dad was born in the Soviet Union, right? Like, he's a f- character, my pops too. And so, but even though 50% of the memories were in contention or battle, they're just at this point, so I look at them in a fond way because it's just net time together with the person that brought you into the earth. And so I think that uh, I would say the thing that's not understood is you'll never regret it. So, you know, I, I've never really looked at it like that. Whether you're the kid, the sibling, or the CEO in a family business, it can be a daily gauntlet of pressure to make money and keep the peace. The sad truth 
is most family-run businesses that exist today won't be around 20 years from now. Less than half survive the transition from first generation to second, which tells you something about how tough it is. One reason? Eight out of 10 don't have a real succession plan. A lot of family business leaders just assume the kids will eventually take over. What if it's not in their wheelhouse? What if they're not well prepared to take it over? If you're determined to build a dynasty, groom your kids early and let them know you're looking for the next leader. Teach them what you've learned and be patient. Let them bring new ideas and help them breathe new life into the business with their knowledge and experience. Keep in mind, the family business doesn't have to be passed down to the kids. Sometimes, working for your parents only highlights that you'd be better off working elsewhere or starting your own business. It sounds overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. Start with an honest look at where your company is today and where it needs to go. Do you have the talent in your family to get you there? Can you help them gain the skills now to be ready for the future? Or would an experienced outsider help move the needle? Finding the right support and being honest about what your business needs to grow can improve your chance at survival. Three and a Half Degrees is an original podcast from Facebook. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Three and a Half Degrees, The Power of Connection. That's Three and a Half Degrees, all spelled out. For more information and a look behind the scenes, follow us on Instagram at Three and a Half Degrees. I'm David Fisher. Thanks for listening. <laughs>